You're listening to the First Corinthians When Immaturity Meets Worldliness series preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. First Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just give you quickly um, a review to bring you up to speed on where we're at this morning. Uh, Paul has been writing, of course, this letter to the Corinthian church. He's been dealing with various problems. We come to chapter 12, chapters 12, 13, and 14, and find that there was another problem they had to deal with. There were those within the Corinthian church who believed themselves to be spiritual. They were above everyone else. And they believed that because they had certain gifts, external gifts that people could see and, and they could hear. And so they believed that they were the most important members in the church because they had the gift, the gift of all gifts. And Paul says there's a problem with that. You don't understand Worship, you don't understand the nature of the church, and you don't understand spiritual gifting. That's where we find ourselves this morning now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And again, important to remember as we work our way through here, talking about spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit of God always, always edifies, lifts up, exalts Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ should be Christ-centered, not Spirit-centered. Because Jesus said in, in John 14, John 15, he talks about the idea that when the Spirit comes, the Comforter will guide us unto all truth, he will not speak of himself. He's going to testify of me, he will glorify me. And so Paul reminds them that the Spirit moves within our church, and he is the one that helps us exalt Jesus. Verse number four. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And here Paul talks about these great gifts. We get the word charisma from them, these gifts. They're grace-given gifts by God. And he wants them to know that first, they come from God. They're not their own. The Spirit of God gives them. There's diversity in these gifts, and he gives to every individual as he pleases. And the purpose, when it's all said and done, of spiritual gifting is to edify the church. It's all about the church. Now, here's where we get into new territory this morning, verses 8 through 10. Some of you have been so excited to get to this point. Let's read it together. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, By the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. This is one of those sections in Scripture that is talked about often maybe misunderstood, but let me help you by noticing a couple things. Notice, first off, that Paul does not define any of these gifts. He's writing to the Corinthians and says, listen, I want you to know that there are differences in diversity. 
He doesn't help us by defining what this means. Okay? But he's writing, believing that the Corinthians know exactly what he's talking about, and you've got to get this, that these gifts, all of them, verses 8 through 10, must have been in play during the early church's life. They had to be, because Paul writes to them about this. Notice as well that these gifts, or this list, is not exhaustive. These are not the only gifts that the Spirit gives. At the end of chapter 12, starting at verse 28, he talks about other gifts that were not mentioned. You go to Romans chapter 12, you find another list of gifts, and he adds to that. You go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and Ephesians 4, and again, there are more gifts. These are not all the gifts of the Spirit. These are a representation of the diversity of gifts that the Spirit gives. I want you to also notice about this list that these gifts are extraordinary. As you read through them, they catch our attention. They would be gifts that would stand out. They would be visible. You would hear, you would see this gifting. And I also want you to notice the order that Paul gives us. As you work your way through the gifting by the Spirit, you see at the end he says, diverse or different kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And I think that's interesting to note because in the Bible, oftentimes when you have a list of things It's not unusual to find the most important at the top and the least important at the bottom. If you understand how the writers of the Gospels wrote the list of the disciples, all of the lists start with either Peter, James, and John, or that that type of order, and they all end with Judas Iscariot. And that's what Paul is doing here as well. Um, But this is the gift, this gift of tongues, that was being exalted in the church. This was the one that people said, I have this gift. I am more spiritual than the rest. And Paul now will deal with that gift extensively, not here in chapter 12 so much, but the beginning of chapter 13 and all of chapter 14. And so here's the question. The question is, we've just read this, and maybe for some of you this is completely new, you've never heard this. For others, you've been involved in church for a long time. You've had a different background, maybe coming from the charismatic movement. And so the question that often comes with this listing is this. Are those gifts mentioned in verses 8 through 10, are they in play for the church today? When Paul writes that, are these gifts, are these the things that we should see in our church today? So I'm going to answer that for you, all right? There are four answers to that. The first answer is yes. All of these gifts that Paul mentions, they should be in play exactly how we think of them or heard them to be today. Here's the second answer. No. Okay? No. There are others who say, wait a minute, these gifts are sign gifts. And they are gifts that were given specifically to the early church to vindicate what they were preaching and teaching. As they were proclaiming Christ got up from the grave, these miraculous works and giftings would verify that. So you have yes, you have no. There's a third option. The third option is, that some of these gifts are for today, knowledge, prophecy, faith, and others are not. The miraculous healing, the tongues, um, and the miracle. And there is yet a fourth option. The fourth option is this. Those gifts may be in play today depending how you define them. And what is it that you mean by prophecy, and what is it you mean by tongues? And so, this morning, I'm going to disappoint many of you. Yes, that was quick. Wow. Thank you for the vote of confidence. (laughs) 
I don't know where to go from there. It's, yes. Yes. All right. Um, but you'll get used to this because if, you, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I will disappoint you over and over again. The truth is about this list this morning. Um, it doesn't matter. In the context of what Paul is writing about, no matter what you believe about verses 8 through 10 this morning, the thrust of what Paul is saying, it doesn't matter. Now listen to me. You say, that's a cop-out, Rick. Okay? But it's not. Paul's going to talk about the gift of tongues in chapter 14. We're going to get there. But what he's saying now is he's using this list to remind this church who had this, this factious spirit, this anti-spiritual spirit that said, this gifting's better than your gifting, he uses this list to say, wait a minute, I want you to see how different the Spirit is as far as his gifting, and I want you to remember that he does as he pleases, and he gives to every individual as he sees fit. And so, don't get lost on verses 8 to 10 yet. We're going to get there, okay? And I know from the group I'm looking at this morning, we have lots of different ideas. We're going to be honest and go through the Word of God. But bear with me, we're not going to get there today. This is like a cliffhanger, you know, you keep on pulling along until you get to chapter 14, okay? We're going to get there. But I don't want to lose the, the crux of what Paul is trying to say this morning. What he's trying to say. Look at verse number 12. <clears throat> he says, For as the body is one, and again, this, remember, this is all connected. He's not just pulling stuff out of the air. He gave you that list to, to remind us of some things. He's going to make this point now. He says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. Okay, so here's a question for you. And we have our young people here today. You're welcome to answer out loud, all right? Very deep question. How many bodies do you have? Good, good. The adults had no idea. Okay, I didn't ask you if you liked your body if you wanted to trade your body in, if at 46, it's done. I didn't ask those things. I said, how many? And the answer is one. We have one body. It's a no-brainer. Every kid in this room understood that. Okay, here's the second question. How many parts does your body have? Oh, come on, give them a chance to answer, right? Many, is that it? Some would say, well, seven or 20. Counting fingers and toes, and sometimes it's 20, maybe it's 21, maybe it's 19, depending on your life, all right? Um, but many. It depends what we're counting. We get lots. Very good, Laura Wynn, lots. We have lots, okay? So we have one body, but we understand that part of this body, we have lots and lots of parts, lots of members. And Paul does something very fascinating here. I think we miss it sometimes. He's going to use something that we are familiar with, and bring home a spiritual truth for us on the glory of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to miss the significance of him using the body. I was talking to a man yesterday about, about God. and His question was, I can believe about Jesus, but is there something bigger that I just can't wrap my head around out there? And the answer is, yeah, that's, that's God the Father. And, and we wrap our head around him the best that we can by the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But in the conversation, I was talking about how God, we, we see his glory and his wisdom, his power through creation. We see it through his word. That's how he's revealed himself. And in these last days, of course, we see it 
because he's revealed himself through the perfect expression of Jesus Christ. But in the process of talking about creation, I think sometimes we look at creation and it's, it's awe-inspiring, isn't it? I mean, if you've been out to the East Coast or you've been out West, you've been to the ocean, I mean, there's something within us, innately within us, that it just strikes awe in us. And it shouts the glory and the wisdom and the genius of God. Listen to what Augustine says. He, he says, Men go abroad to admire the heights of the mountains, the mighty waves of the sea, the broad tides of rivers, the compass of the ocean, and the circuits of the stars, yet pass over the mystery of themselves without a thought. I'm telling you, creation is stunning, but if you want to see the genius of God, go look in a mirror. And I'm dead serious. God has designed this body, and it shouts out that God is not only creative and has a sense of humor, but that he's a genius. He's a genius. I'll give you an example of that this morning. Since the kids are here, we always want to learn something in church. It's always good to learn something, but we learn, and then we try to apply those things. It's not just enough to learn something and then leave. We need application. But let's learn something this morning about the body. Let's talk about the brain. You all have one. I know some of you are saying, I got a teenager. They don't, all right? And not until they're 25 do they form those things. I get it. But the brain is amazing. In your brain this morning, there are 100 billion neurons, those nerve cells. 100 billion. And out of those, those 100 billion neurons, they can connect 100 trillion times. And they're snapping all the time. They, can, they make these connections. That's why we can do things and not even think about them. And it's just our body is doing that. Our mind is working. We have no idea. And we do these things. We don't even think about it. You're breathing today. You're not thinking about it, right? Your sugar is regulated. Your heartbeat, your pulse, your body temperature. The brain is acting and the brain is working. And this helps us explain some of those things. Now listen to me. The brain with, with these hundred billion neurons. Would you like to guess this morning how many operations your brain can perform in one second? How many operations your brain, brain can perform in one second? Kids, any idea? Give me a number. Three. Okay, three is good. Um, for some of you, that's probably before coffee. I can do three things. Aiden, how many? 150. Okay, 150 operations in a second. That's a lot. Any other numbers? Lower one? 10 is a little bit lower, so she's on a little lower scale there, but that's okay. 10, that's still a lot in one second. Any others? Thousands. Okay. Do you want the, yes? A hundred million. That's a kid that thinks big. That's a great answer. Let me tell you how many operations your brain can perform in one second. 38,000 trillion. So 10 was close. Okay. okay. Now, now, for some of you like me, that, I, I can't even get my head around that, right? So, so let's try to help you understand this a little bit. I need, I need a young person, I think, here that's a good tapper. You are a good tapper. Do I have any good tappers here? All right, Laura Wynn, come up here. 
I don't know how you would know you're a good tapper. I don't even know what that means, actually. It just means this. Okay, come on, Lorwin. Come on. You okay? Thank you. Okay, Lorwin, I want you to do something, okay? I want you to tap on this book ten times as fast as you can, okay? Okay, very good, okay? Now, how long do you think that took? About maybe two or three seconds? Okay. Okay, if we could just sort of tweak her and get her to do that ten times in one second. Okay, you, you can, I don't think you can do it, but you're like, brr, brr, right? For one second. If we could get her to do that ten times in one second, how long do you think it would take to get to 38,000 trillion? Ten minutes. Okay. That'd be a long time to be doing that. Okay, so let's just say, let's just say we just jack her up on, on Mountain Dew and, and dark chocolate and gummy bears, and we just keep on feeding her, and she gets this down to 10 times in one second, and she goes until we get to 38,000 trillion. It would take her a little more than 10 to 15 minutes, okay? It would take her 120 million 414,734 years. You sit down, Kate, sweetheart. Thank you. We don't have the time this morning. Okay? Okay. Now listen to me. I, I hope you, by that illustration, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a, it's a mind blow. You can't even wrap your head around it. And so Paul takes the body, and we just think, oh, yeah, the body. No, wait a minute. This thing is amazing. And we've not even touched the surface or scratched the surface of, of your 200-plus bones, your 500 muscles, your, your cells, and, and all of it. It is amazing. And so Paul says, okay, church, I want you to understand something. I'm going to pull this, this example, this analogy of a body because I want you to understand the church. And so we are, we've already established, I think, that, that the body is it's magnificent. It's, it's, it's God's genius. Look what he says in, in verse number 12. But as a body is one, has many members, and all the members of that body, being many, are one, so also is Christ. And that may surprise us. If you're following Paul's train of thought, he's talking about the church, we may have put, hey, like the body has one body, many members, and all those members make one body, so does the church. And it makes sense. Paul doesn't. Paul says Christ. And the reason he says Christ is, listen to me, it is impossible to talk about the church, the true church, without talking about Jesus Christ. And it's impossible to talk about Jesus Christ without talking about his church. I read this morning again the, the quote by um, Ferguson St. Clair, who said both the first and second Adam came to a tree on account of the woman they loved. You'll get that. You, just, you, you can't separate the two. When God in his magnificent glorious plan, decided to step into our world, he took upon him the form of a body. He walked among us. You know, Christmas is coming, and it's a glorious time because it helps us to remember the awesomeness of the story that we tell. 
God became flesh. He took upon a body. He walked among us. He, he breathed our air. He walked in our dust. He experienced what we experienced. He died, was buried, rose again, and now he's not here, but he has a body. And the body is made up of human beings. It's his church. And listen to me. The way the world knows Christ today is by his church. His body. And so Paul says now in verse 13, just like the physical body, this is the church, it's Christ and his body. This is how we become part of that body. Verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be bond or I'm sorry, whether we be Jews or Greeks, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And so Paul says, listen, your body is glorious. The body of Christ is glorious. The way to get into the body of Christ is by the Spirit. And sometimes we read this verse and we think, well, baptized, that's just immersion. We know what that means. It means to be immersed. And he's talking about water baptism. He's not here. He says we're baptized into one body by the Spirit. He says we drink into one spirit. He uses that same phrase, that same terminology in chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, when he says Israel was baptized unto Moses. They all drank of the same spiritual drink, right? This is a spiritual transaction he's talking about. He's not talking about water baptism. He's not. Nor is he talking about some second special blessing for other Christians who are saved, and they get some special blessing. That's not what he's talking about, because he says all were baptized by the Spirit. All drank of this. And just so that you know this morning, what Paul is talking about is synonymous with these words. Born again, saved, converted, cleansed, forgiven, justified. He is speaking here of, of the common experience for all believers. They are converted. Listen to me. Young people here this morning... Old people here this morning, and everyone in between, you do not become part of the body of Christ because you went to Sunday school. You're not part of the body because you go to a Baptist church. You're not part of the body because you were baptized, sprinkled, immersed. You're not part of the body because you're doing the best that you can, and you're following the golden rule, and you're loving people as you want them to love you. That's not it. We become part of the body of Christ when by faith we repent and believe in Christ and his spirit makes us alive. John chapter 1, verse 12. Look at that quickly. John nails it. He, he says, But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, children of God, sons and daughters of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but by God. And so he says, listen, you want to be part of this magnificent body, this body of Christ, the true church, you must be born again. It's not about raising your hand in a service sometime or even coming to the front. Lots of people say prayers that mean nothing. You've got to be born by the Spirit. You've got to be born again. And then he says, whether you're Jew or Greek, bond or free, Paul then takes the main distinction, distinction in his day, religion and social status, and now says, listen, in this body, this, this beautiful genius work that God is doing his church, there is no more Jew or Greek or bond or free. 
It doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done in the past or what your status is or how much money you make or what, what your pay grade is or, or what your education... It doesn't matter. We are one. We've all been made nigh by the blood, Ephesians chapter 2, and Christ has broken down that middle wall of partition. The point is this. Through the whole thing, there is one body. You become part of it by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. Verse number 14. He goes on to say, for the body is not one member, but many. Now he's going to use what we know, this body, to help us understand the church. And we're just going to try to get to verse number 18 this morning. So he says in verse number 15, If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not the body? And he's trying to help us understand this. He's trying to have us envision this body, our body, and then our ear saying, listen, because I'm not the the eye, because I'm not the eye, I'm not part of the body. That's ridiculous. It doesn't matter. It's still part of the body. And without it, something would be missing. It means something. There's, There's this connectiveness with the body. These parts assumed they were unimportant. Paul says, no, wait a minute. You are important. Remember this issue. There were people in the church believing that because they had certain gifts that they were more important than other people. And Paul says, wait a minute. If your ear says, I'm not the eye, it's still part of the body. That's how it works. Verse number 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole was hearing, where were the smelling? And then he gives us this picture that It'd be weird if I came out this morning from behind that door and I had a pair of legs and I was a big eyeball, okay, right? That'd be slightly weird, okay? It would be scary, actually. But in the process of that understanding, if I was an eye, I could not smell. I could not hear. I could not feel. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. So Paul says, if all are one part, then other functions would be missing. Would be missing. Here's the point. The point is, the body is not one member. This body is not one member. And in the church of Corinth, the church was not to assemble and just do one gift. That's what they were doing. Oh, we don't care what you got. We don't care what you bring to the table. I can speak in tongues. I can interpret tongues. I can prophesy. You just be quiet there. Paul says, wait a minute. What are you doing? That's not how the body operates. The body is not one member. The body is many. And those gifts and individuals are necessary for the body to function. And here we see the genius and glory of God. Verse number 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. This is the church. If we can grasp this, it is a glorious, God-honoring organism, the church. So what do we do with this? I'll use a couple things to think about as we close this morning. Um, here's, here's the first thing to take away. The first thing I want you to take away from this morning is this, the genius and the glory of the body that God has given us. Honestly, as you look around at this world and this creation, we need to stop and just look at the body that God has given us and understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Science is just scratching the surface of what we know our body is capable of doing It blows our minds. It's the body. 
And, and we should be thankful for it. We should understand it's our gift from God that we as human beings are image bearers of the Almighty. That's why this morning for the believer with the right worldview, we say all life is important because all life is made in the image of God. Old life, young life, unborn life, handicapped life, it all matters. And when you move away from the glory of the body, we are image bearers of God, we are in trouble. We're in trouble. It matters. It matters. So we should take care of this body. Don't worship it. It's dumb. Don't worship the thing. I'm going to exercise every day and I'm going to eat right. That's fine. You're going to die. You're going to die someday. Or you're going to turn 46 and it won't matter anymore. Okay. All right. But don't try to kill the thing, man. Right? Smoking, drinking, quadruple baconators every day. That's, it's just not, it's not a good idea, Travis. Okay? <laughs> Take care of the thing, man. It's glorious. We should use it to shout the glories of God. The body's important. Number two, our God is a God who loves unity. He, he loves unity. And he longs for us to experience unity. Now, some of you, when, when you say the word unity, you think, okay, I know what you're going out. That's cultic, man. You want people coming, wearing the, the jean shorts, the Nike tennis shoes, and waiting for the hail bop comet, drinking the Kool-Aid. I get that. That's what you mean. That's not what I mean. That's not what, what, what uniformity means for God or unity. It means we are united in one Cause. It means we keep the main thing the main thing. It means we don't get wrapped up in little nonsense or preferences. We say the main thing is Him, His glory, His kingdom, His gospel. That's what we will do, and we will be unified in that purpose. That's what we're talking about. But now listen to me. In the midst of that, that unity, God loves diversity. He loves it. He loves it. Look around, man. This is a, if you could see from my vantage point, you might be horrified, all right? But you would see every face and every different walk of life and every background and every culture. That's our God. And he glories in that. That's what the church ought to look like, right? And we all bring something to the table. I have to be honest with you. I don't want a church full of everybody's wearing a blue suit and a red tie. I just don't. I, I think that's boring. At least change the color of your tie every now and then, all right? There's diversity, and God loves that. And, and for some of you folks, you have this idea that in this body you don't have a place or you don't know what to do or, or you're insignificant or what I have, what I bring to the table doesn't matter. That is just not true. It's not true. I saw a quote this week talking about people who thought that they're so little and, and insignificant and what they do doesn't matter. And it said, if you think that's true, that, that, that th things that are little don't matter or don't make a difference, try falling asleep in a room when there's one mosquito in it. I will stay up for eight hours to find that mosquito. I, I don't like anything sucking my blood, man. I just, it bothers me. And so our God loves Diversity. He loves diversity. 
within unity. And so as I see my gifting, I don't, I don't become jealous. I don't become envious. I don't minimize my own gifts. I realize they're gifts from God to make this body function in a way that pleases him. Number three, if we're taking numbers, church is important. It's important. If Christ died for the church, this, this body, if, if, if God purchased her, the church, with his blood, this body, then it's important. It's important. Don't minimize church. Church isn't showing up on Sunday and taking off. Church is us doing life together. It's important. And this church is important. It's important that we come, we participate, we are active, we, we need to be involved. Church is important. I, I mean, for so many of us, we're wrapped up in things that just don't matter. Can I tell you something? Most of us are wasting our life trying to figure out who's going to be the next great voice. Or who's going to win Survivor? Or who's the next Canadian Idol? Or what's happened in Hollywood? Can I tell you something? All of those things are passing away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. My friend, church is important. And our attitudes about church, like, ah, take it or leave it. Ah, it's sunny out, I'm going to the beach. Ah, it's raining, I'm sleeping in. No, 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 no. We, we assemble together because it's important to be here. It's important. Church, this church, our church, is important. And then finally this morning, if all these things are true, then you need to be here. Here. No more 20-80 principle that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, or 20% of the people give 80% of the money. Enough of that. Enough of that. Find your gifting and find what God has given you to do and do it here. Do it here. You know, you, you see the body sometimes in churches and the feet are tripping up the body or the fingers are poking the eyes or the teeth are biting the tongue. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's not God's plan. He wants us to be one. One. Be here. Be involved. Find out what he's given you. And listen, I know as a church, sometimes we do a poor job at, at connecting people and placing them somewhere. Be patient with us. But could you imagine if all of us said, God, what's my gift to this church? And by your grace, I am going to use it. Could you imagine what this place would look like? Could you imagine what this body, which would be healthy and complete, could do? Listen to me. There are no superstars here. There are no heroes here. There's one hero. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head. We just follow. And if we as God's people could say, okay, Lord, this is what you've given me. It might be small, but you've placed me here. Help me to do what you've called me to do. Could you imagine if all the neurons were making the connection? If they're all working like they should? 38,000 trillion operations a second. What this body of Christ could do in this place, in this community, and in this world. Can I tell you something? The body is glorious.
It's glorious. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And when we do what we're supposed to do in this body, he is glorified. It shouts his genius. I mean, who would come up with an idea to stick a bunch of people together who have nothing in common? There's some people in this church, I promise you, if you would have met them 10 years ago, you would have crossed the street when you saw them coming. You know what happens? The Spirit of God saves people. And he changes them. And he makes us a family. And he makes us one body. It's God. And it's glorious. And so, I challenge you this morning. What are you doing? What part are you? What part do you play? There is no such thing as, I just got a small. No, no, no. Get to quit that, man. It's not how the body functions. We're going to see next week that these small parts that we don't think about, they're really important. They're so important we can't function without them. And that's the case for the body of Christ. What's your part? What are you doing? If you're doing nothing, then, then you have failed to understand the genius of this body. One body, many parts, still one body. May it all be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning.